bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, the Lord. You will find a child wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Well, I want to welcome all of those who are watching online, uh, those who are watching by television and all of our campuses today. We're one church in three locations. Hope you'll go online to our website, find a campus that's close to you and be a part of what God is doing uh, in our church. You know, one of the ways that you know Christmas has arrived, there's a lot of ways you know it, but one of the ways you know it is nativity scents seem to pop up everywhere. We were out uh, last night, Tracy and I were out and and driving around and, and doing some errands, and um, we went by four houses, and four of these houses uh, that we saw, they had these nativity sets. And a lot of people, you go into their home, and, and they decorate their homes with nativity sets made out of wood, ceramic, and, and stone. Well, we at our house, we have three nativity sets, and one of those uh, that we uh, have is, is made out of olive wood, and it was actually bought when we were in Israel. And Teresa just keeps it up all year round. And I took a picture of it. And this is what it looks like. Now, if you look closely, it, it, it looks almost like every nativity set that you'd see. I mean, at, at the center is what you would expect. You know, Mary, Joseph, the baby Jesus in a manger. To the left, you'll see the shepherds. To the right, you see the wise men. And if you look closely, you'll see donkeys and sheep and cows and camels. And that was in the original nativity set that we bought. But then Teresa added something that did not come with a nativity set. And believe it or not, it's left out of most nativity sets. You know what they leave out? Angels. They leave out angels. Now, you may sit there and you may think, well, what's the big deal about that? What, what's so important about whether an angel is in there or not? Well, first of all, I don't think the angels would like it. Okay, I, I think they, they would have an objection. Because, absolutely, you know, if you think about it, in the most familiar Christmas story that we know that we're going to look at today, angels are really central characters. In fact, in the two Gospels that record the birth of Jesus, Matthew and Luke, there is a beehive of angelic activity going on from the time that Jesus is first conceived. You can't even read this Christmas story without bumping into angels everywhere. For example, it was an angel that told Mary, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. It was an angel that told Joseph that his fiancée was pregnant with a child that was not his. It was an angel that told a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth that they were going to have a baby who would become John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of the ministry of Jesus. And so I want us to look today at what is the most famous Christmas story in all of the Bible. You know where it is. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. The Bible's in two parts, Old and New Testament. Go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Now, we've been in a series that we've been calling Entourage. And what we've done is we've been looking at the first Christmas through the eyes of three groups of people 
who are actually partly responsible for the Christmas story. One of the reasons why we know what this story is all about is because the groups that we've been looking at are the people that first passed this down from generation to generation. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the wise men, and we saw how the wise men taught us to expect Christmas. And then last week, we saw, looked at the shepherds, and we saw how the shepherds teach us how to experience Christmas. But today, today we're going to look at how angels teach us to express Christmas. Now, before I kind of get into the meat of the message, I do find it amazing that even though we're living in an increasingly secular nation, a nation where fewer and fewer people are attending church, where fewer and fewer people are thinking church is a big deal, and, and where fewer and fewer people believe the Bible, I find it very interesting that 80% of American adults believe in angels. As a matter of fact, 55% of American adults believe in guardian angels, and they believe that a guardian angel at one time or another saved their life. Uh, there was a woman that was walking down the street, and, and all of a sudden she heard a voice yell out, Stop! If you take one more step, you'll be killed. Well, at that exact moment, a brick fell and landed right in front of this woman. She couldn't believe it. About five minutes after that, she was about getting ready to cross the street. And the same voice yelled out and said, stop, don't cross that street or you will be killed. And at that very moment, an out-of-control truck careened around the corner and just blew through the red light where she would have been crossing, and she actually would have been killed. So this woman was really shaken up, as you can imagine, and she said, who are you? And the voice replied, I am your guardian angel. I've been assigned to follow you everywhere you go. I'm here to protect you and make sure that you stay out of danger. The woman thought about it she said you're my guardian angel yes you're always with me yes you have just one job and that's to keep me out of danger he said that's right she said I have just one question he said what is it she said where were you on my wedding day now if you think about it the only group that really makes sense in the Christmas story is the angels you say, well, why do you say that? All right, now think about this. What are we talking about at Christmas? We're talking about a birth. And whose birth are we talking about? We're talking about the birth of the Son of God. This is not once some ordinary run-of-the-mill dime-a-dozen baby, not that babies are not important, but this is not just, this is not your ordinary baby. We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about the God who came in the flesh. And, and, and so what is strange is, Except for the angels, when you really read the Christmas story, a lot of the Christmas story is just kind of odd. I mean, some of it doesn't make sense. Let me give you an example. I mean, this announcement that Jesus has been born, this announcement that the Son of God has come into the world, this announcement was so huge, it was so big, it was so critical and important to God, he sends a heavenly DJ to make the announcement. Now, you would think, Okay, if he's going to go to the trouble to send an angel to make this announcement, you would think, all right, well, obviously he's going to make it to the greatest people in the world, and obviously he's going to make it in the greatest place in the world. But as we've already noted last week, you could not have chosen, you would never have chosen shepherds to have heard this announcement. Minimum wage, lower class nomads, they were nobodies. I mean, Here's the angel making this announcement about the birth of Jesus. Not a dignitary or a diplomat anywhere. 
Not a mayor or a millionaire anywhere. Not a governor or a senator to be found anywhere. He makes it to some lowly shepherds. And then you say, well, okay, okay, maybe I can handle that. But now surely you'd make this announcement in Rome because Rome was the political capital of the world. Or surely you would make it in Athens, which was the cultural capital of the world. Or at least make it in Jerusalem, which at least for the Jewish people was the spiritual capital of the world. But where does he make it? Mayberry. Bethlehem. A country, little hick town that nobody even knew existed on the earth. So he makes this announcement not to the people you think he would make it to, not to the place he would make it to. So, so much about the Christmas story is just odd. But now the angel, you go, what? Now that makes sense. I get that. I mean, surely, I mean, I, I understand. You don't want just an ordinary run-of-the-mill newspaper editor making this or some news commentator. So he chooses an angel. It's a great choice. Because when you read about these angels and what these angels did and how these angel, angels announced Christmas, you realize it teaches you and me how we ought to express Christmas. Because the greatest birth in history is taking place, and absolutely at first, nobody knew about it. Now think about this. The Son of God is born. Does Rome know about it? Nope. Does Athens know about it? Nope. Does Jerusalem know about it? Nope. Does Alexandria know about it? Nope. You can't find one great city in the world. They're all totally oblivious. Even the biblical scholars that were just five miles up the road had no idea what had occurred. And if you were in Bethlehem back in that day and you were living right up the road there from that, that inn where Jesus was born, you were just, you know, ordinary neighbors, you heard this little baby crying, you would have thought, well, another baby has been born. Just another common, ordinary baby, no different from any other baby that had been born in that little town. And all of a sudden, heaven breaks loose and an angel appears to the shepherds. And then this gigantic host of angels begin singing the first Christmas carol ever heard. And here's what I want to ask you today. You've heard this story a thousand times. I get that. But have you ever really stopped to think about what the angels said and what the angels sang? Because what those angels did at Christmas teaches us what we ought to be doing to express Christmas the way that we should. See, here's what I want you to hear. It's one thing every year to expect Christmas. We all do that. You know, we start early. Some of us start earlier than others expecting Christmas. It's another thing to experience Christmas. We all look forward to experiencing Christmas. I don't think you should ever grow too old that you don't enjoy experiencing Christmas with your family and with your friends. But what we don't ever think about is expressing Christmas. And you may say, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. What do you mean expressing Christmas? Well, let's look at what the angels did and let me share, you, share with you three things that if you believe in Christmas and you expect Christmas and you experience Christmas, I want to share with you three ways, how, why, and the, uh, three ways that we need to be expressing Christmas to everybody that we meet. Just what the angels did. Number one, we should communicate the good news of Christmas. First thing we ought to do every year, we ought to communicate the good news of Christmas. Now look what happens. The first Christmas announcement goes out from this angelic messenger and it appears something is missing. We're in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, talking to the shepherds. He says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, as you read that and think about it, something's missing. You say, okay, what's missing? Well, there's a word missing. The word starts with a C. I'll give you a clue. What's missing? Starts with a C. Christmas. 
He doesn't even mention the word Christmas. I mean, that's what the angel's talking about, but he doesn't even mention the word Christmas. I mean, you would have, you know what I would have said if if I'd been that angel right off the bat? Merry Christmas. That's what I would have said. And then the air shepherds go, what is Merry Christmas? Then you could explain. He doesn't even mention Christmas. Instead, here's what he says. Five words. I bring you good news. That's it. I bring you good news. Now, here's what's kind of interesting. If you were to open up a Greek New Testament, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, Greek, five words in English, I bring you good news, that's one word in the Greek language, only one. We take five words to translate one word. And that word gives us what the word that, that we use for evangelism. So in effect, when this angel says, I bring you good news, you're actually looking at the very first evangelist in the New Testament. You're looking at the very first one that shared the good news because all evangelism is, is just bringing good news. I'm going to say something that you're not going to like. Some of you are going to be very uncomfortable, but it's true. If you are a Christian, you are supposed to be an evangelist. Nobody gets a pass because what is an evangelist? You just bring good news. Anybody can bring good news. A 10-year-old can bring good news. A senior adult can bring good news. A child can bring good news. A teenager can bring good news. A college graduate can bring good news. If you didn't finish high school, you can bring good news. Anybody can bring good news. It's because here's what we don't understand. Evangelism is not buttonholing somebody. It's not bullying somebody. It's not forcing your beliefs on somebody. It's not coercing somebody. It's not pressuring anybody to believe anything. Evangelism is just bringing good news. I had dinner the other night with a man that I've been trying to reach for three years. Finally got an appointment with this guy. Finally had a dinner with him. I'll just call him John. I said, John, I said, thanks for having dinner with me. I said, you know, I've been trying for three years to make this thing work. You know, I was trying to put him at ease. And the first thing I said to him, I said, John, let me put you at ease. I'm not here to preach to you. I'm not here to lecture you. I'm not here to open the Bible to you. I'm not here to force anything on you. I'm not here to put any pressure on you whatsoever. I'm just trying to get build a relationship. I just want to get to know you. Now, at the end, I did, did get to share just a little bit about the good news. But what I want you to understand is that's what evangelism is. And when you truly experience Christmas, you just want to express Christmas by communicating the good news of Christmas. And the angel goes on to say this. Listen. He said it's good news. Now, this is what I love about the good news. That will cause joy for all people. Now, there's nothing extraordinary about good news. There's nothing extraordinary about good news bringing great joy. When you got good news, somebody's going to get joy out of it. All good news brings joy to somebody. But it's something else when you say there's good news of great joy for everybody. Here's an example. Let's say you were to come to me on uh, sometime after April the 15th and you say, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. I got a tax refund of $10,000. Can I be honest? That's not going to bring me any joy. Unless you say, I'm going to give half to the church. Now, that would bring me great joy. But other than that, I mean, am I glad for you? I'm glad for you. doesn't help my bank account. Now, if you came to me and you said, you're not going to believe this, guess what? Congress just passed a law. Everybody's going to get a $10,000 tax refund. Now we're talking. Now we're cooking with gasoline. That's good news that brings great joy to everybody. So here's the question. 
What is it about this good news that brings great joy for everybody? And the angel didn't leave anybody out. He says, I don't care who you are. This is good news that ought to be great joy for everybody. What is the news that's such great joy for everybody? He says this, because today in the town of David, a, say that word, a Savior has been born to you. Question, why is that one statement good news for everybody? It is because in who that baby was and what that baby brought and what that baby was going to do, everyone, everywhere, for all time would have all that anybody would ever truly need. Because that need can be expressed in one statement that summarizes the central message of the entire Bible. And here's that statement. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. You see, that's why this is good news for Muslims. And it's good news for Buddhists. Good news for Hindus. Good news for Jews. Good news for Gentiles, good news for poor, good news for the rich, good news for white and black, good news for male and female, and really good news for Christians. Because the one thing that unites all of us is we're all sinful. We all fall short of what we ought to be, what we could be, what God wants us to be. We were all born spiritually infected. We were all born spiritually defected. We were all born spiritually imperfected. And Jesus was born on earth for those of us born in sin so that we could be born again and be forgiven of our sin. That's so good. I'm going to say that one more time. I just, that just blesses me. Jesus was born on earth for those of us born in sin so that we could be born again and be forgiven of our sin. And see, this is why it's good news for everybody. Not everybody in the world is poor and needs more money. Bill Gates doesn't need more money. Donald Trump doesn't need more money. There's a lot of people who don't need more money. Not everybody in this world is illiterate and needs more education. You know, a PhD doesn't need more education. You know, college professors, they don't need more education. Not everybody in the world is sick and needs medication. Hopefully, you're healthy enough where you're not on any medication. But everybody in this world is a sinner. And everybody needs a Savior. We were all born in sin, we all live in sin, and without a Savior, we will die in sin. And because of Christmas, we can communicate the good news, we have a Savior who can deliver anybody, who can deliver everybody, who can deliver the somebodies, who can deliver the nobodies, and take them completely out of their sin. And let me tell you, there's not a better time of the year for you and me who believe in that baby and love that baby and worship that baby to communicate the good news to a world full of sinners in need of a Savior, hey, guess what? The Savior has been born, and His name is Jesus. So how should we express Christmas? Can I just be honest? If you can't get motivated and fired up and excited at Christmas to communicate the good news of the gospel. I don't know when you'll ever be able to do it. That's what the angel did. He said, I bring you good news, which is great joy. So how should I express Christmas? Number one, we ought to communicate the good news of Christmas. Number two, we ought to concentrate on the great God of Christmas. 
concentrate on the great God of Christmas. And let me just kind of, as an aside, you know what we concentrate on? Santa, Frosty, Rudolph, Dancer, Prancer, Donner, Dixon, Blitzen, and Sleepy, and Mose, you know, I mean, Larry, Moe, and Curly Joe. We, we concentrate on everybody except the one whose birthday it is. We ought to concentrate on the great God of Christmas because, look, the angel wasn't finished. The sermon wasn't done. The message wasn't over. He said, look, this Jesus is more than just the Savior of the entire world. Listen to the heart of his entire message. Listen to this. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the what? The Messiah, the Messiah, the Lord. This is the only time anywhere in the Bible that those three terms are used together. Savior, Christ, Lord. Now think about it. Before Jesus was born, the angel said to Joseph, I want you to call him by his earthly name, Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, the Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means God is our Savior, God is our salvation. But now the angel comes along. He doesn't use his earthly name. Shepherds don't even know he's going to be called Jesus. They say, hey, you need to go see this baby. I'm not going to tell you what his earthly name is. Here's what I want you to understand. He is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah. The Greek word for Messiah is the word Christos. It literally means Christ. And, and, and the word Christ means the anointed one. Anointing was, was the way that kings would begin their reign. Whenever a king was chosen to be king or someone was born to be king, they would, they would take olive or, you know, oil and they would anoint this king. And it was kind of a way of kind of symbolically setting him apart and saying, okay, he's different from us. He is the king. He's not here to serve us. We're here to serve him. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, the, the Jews just went into apoplexy because you remember what they nailed over this cross? What did they call him? The king of the Jews. They didn't like that. But that's exactly what he was. And those shepherds would have been excited beyond belief. You mean this is the Messiah? This is the anointed one. This is the king. Because remember, I've told you this many times. For thousands of years, the Jewish people had been looking for a Messiah. They had been looking for that deliverer that God had promised from the Garden of Eden. They had been looking for the one that the prophets prophesied about and that preachers preached about. And in that little baby, God looked at the world and God looked at the Jewish people. And here's what God said. I made a promise and I kept it. I made a promise, and I kept it because I keep my promises. I keep my word. And in that little baby, God said to the Jewish race, I have kept my promise. The Messiah has come. The Messiah is here. We know now the Messiah died on the cross for the sins of both Jews and Gentiles. The Messiah is risen, and the Messiah is coming again because he's not just the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah of the Jewish people. But then he goes further. He says he's not just the Christ. He's not just the anointed one. He's not just the Jewish Messiah. He said he is the Lord of the universe. Now that word Lord refers to someone who is absolutely in complete control. It refers to someone who has absolute authority. He doesn't answer to anyone. He doesn't answer to anything, but everyone and everything answers to him. So if you want to know the real heart of the real message of the real Christmas is this. Jesus Christ is Lord of Christmas. That's the message. Jesus Christ is Lord of Christmas. 
We ought to concentrate on that great, great God. Here's what Christmas tells me. Listen to this. Christmas tells us we have a Lord who will direct us to go the right way in life. We have a Lord who will protect us when we go his way in life. We have a Lord who will correct us when we go the wrong way in life. And see, if I could say one thing to all of us, we're talking about expressing Christmas. And it's a shame in a way that we have to remind each other this over and over and over and over. And by the way, I don't make a big deal out of it. I don't get all bent out of shape. But you know, people get out, you know, if you say Merry Christmas, people don't say Merry Christmas back. Some people, they just go into apoplexy. Hey, get a life. Get over it, okay? Don't be sort of saying, I say Merry Christmas to everyone everywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm big on that. I get that. But don't be upset. Listen, how, why would you expect some people to wish you a Merry Christmas when they don't even know the Christ of Christmas? Let, let's don't get upset with lost people who act like lost people. Let's don't get upset with blind people who can't see and deaf people who can't hear and people who just don't get it. But here's what I want us to know who are believers. Listen, Jesus is not special because of Christmas. Christmas is special because of Jesus. And that's the good news that we want to communicate to everybody. We need to say, look, you know, and, and I'm not going to get on a soapbox here too much, but just one minute this Christmas, I'm going to get on a little Christmas soapbox. So you know that, and, and I'm going to be careful because i got kids in the room. So we had this preacher get in the mall the other day, and he was screaming at people who were waiting in line to see Santa. You probably read about this. You know, and he was on his soapbox about, you know, don't do this and don't do that, don't do this. And I'm sitting here going, help me, Rhonda, help me. That's not moving the ball down the field. All that did was call attention to the one that we're not trying to call attention to. Christmas is special because of Jesus. We don't need to be ashamed of that. We don't need to run away from that. But we need to lovingly communicate that. That's why every chance you get, concentrate on the great God of Christmas. Communicate the good news of Christmas. And here's the last thing. Celebrate the glorious hope of Christmas. Celebrate the glorious hope of Christmas. Now, you can't have Christmas without Christmas music. Even God knows that, right? I mean, God knew that the first Christmas. He didn't have to have music. But somehow God was sending a message in that first Christmas. Christmas music goes with Christmas. Singing and music and playing instrument goes with Christmas. And so now I want you to see and hear the first Christmas carol in history. Now listen to this. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying they were actually singing, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Nope. This was not Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. It was Gabriel and the Rocket Angels. Okay, now look. It was a free concert. Now I want you to go back 2,000 years. Okay, you're, you're one of these lowly shepherds. And you're standing there and you're enjoying this highest state-of-the-art angelic concert. The curtains of heaven are pulled back for this heavenly tabernacle choir. By the way, the word there for host, very interesting. The word there for host is the word for 10,000. That is the highest number the Greeks had any word for was 10,000. Now, can you just imagine, think about this. Can you imagine what it must have looked like and what it must have sounded like for 10,000 angels to be singing perfect pitch, perfect harmony, voices like has never been heard on planet Earth before hitting every note right on the button with the first 
Christmas carol in history. I, I can't even imagine what that looked like. I can't even imagine what that sounded like. But here's what I want you to see. What is so great about this song is not how it sounded, but what it said. Because Christmas means God has offered now to planet Earth the two greatest gifts the entire world needs. Let me tell you what they are. The world doesn't know this. Well, the world knows one of them. It doesn't know the other one. The first thing we need and the first thing we want and the first thing we desire is peace on earth. I mean, everybody says that, right? The Russians say they want peace. The Chinese say they want peace. You know, the only people that want peace are, are people like ISIS and, and these radical Islamic terrorists. That, you know, if you've got people like that, they just say, I don't want peace. But really and truly, the vast majority of the world, they say, look, we just want peace. But this is not an ordinary kind of peace. When the angel talked about peace on earth, he wasn't primarily referring to peace of mind or, you know, rest for the stress. It, because he wasn't talking about the absence of trouble. Let me tell you why. If you think peace is just the absence of trouble, i got news for you. That kind of peace is temporary. That kind of peace won't last. What these angels were singing about was peace with God. That's what the world needs, peace with God. I've said this to you before. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of Jesus. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of Jesus. I read this statement, statement recently. Somebody said it this way. God takes life's broken pieces and gives us unbroken peace. Peace treaties have been signed. Peace treaties have been broken. And the peace that money can buy and, and, and alcohol can bring and drugs can deliver, you know what? That peace eventually wears off. And I'll tell you what I've learned, and I've known it now for over 50 years. When you have peace with God and when you are right with God, you will have the peace of God that will always be with you even when trouble is all around you. I got a text last night from a, a dear friend. Just discovered he has cancer, has lymphoma. And I found out about it. I just shot him a text and told him I was praying for him. He shot, shot me a text back last night. And he said, Pastor, I just want you to know. He said, I really mean this. I know what it is to have the peace of God. He said, I am absolutely at perfect peace with whatever happens in my life. That's the kind of peace this angel was talking about. Peace on earth. And I want to tell you today, you will never, ever, ever have complete peace in this life until you're at complete peace with the one that brought you into this life. You will never have complete peace in this life until you are at complete peace with the one that brought you into this life. And the only way you can have that peace is to get it from the Prince of Peace who was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. But listen to this. He says, not only is there peace on earth, glory to God, not only is there peace on earth, the kind of peace that you can have when everything's falling apart around you, you can be at perfect peace, the peace of God. He said, not only is there peace on earth, he goes on to say, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, that's what the world doesn't get. And that's what the average person doesn't understand. This is the other great gift that God gives us. And, and, and I'll tell you why, and some of you may be wondering, well, why, why is that such a big deal? Well, there's another word there for favor that's more familiar to us, and it's the word grace. On whom his grace rests. If you know anything about Jesus, if you know anything about the Bible, if you know anything about life, then you'll get what I'm about to tell you. The two greatest Christmas gifts anybody can ever get are the peace of God and the grace of God. 
It doesn't get any better than that. The peace of God and the grace of God. We're given peace with God because of the grace of God. I can tell you by personal experience, there is nothing sweeter in life. There is nothing greater in life than laying your head down every night of your life and knowing two things are true about you. I did it last night. I went to bed last night and I thought, I was thinking about this message and I said, you know what? I'm going to sleep tonight and I know two things are true about this guy. I have peace with God and I'm ready to meet him. And I have the grace of God on my life. God's favor is on me, not because of what I've done for him, but because of what he has done for me through that little baby that was born 2,000 years ago. And to get into your car and drive down the road, or to sit down at a table and eat some food, or just to interact with people as you go about your daily business, and to know at every moment of your life, I'm at peace with God. If he takes me right now, I'm ready to go. And I have the grace of God on my life. I've got God's favor on me because of what he has done for me. See, so many people, this is why so many people never, ever really experience Christmas. They, they really don't. It's sad. It, in a way, I mean, it's really sad. There will be people today, they'll, on the outside, they're going to do the same thing you and I do. They'll, they'll, get, they'll have either Christmas Eve or Christmas morning or maybe both. They'll have their kids, they'll have their siblings, they'll have their grandkids, they'll have their parents, and they all get around and they tear open the papers and they unwrap the gifts, and there's laughter and there's merriment, and there's food and there's toys and there's trinkets and there's new clothes and all of this. And it looks like on the outside, everybody's kind of experiencing that same Christmas, but they're not even within a country mile. Because what makes Christmas special is not gifts, it's not the trees, it's not the lights, it's not the music, it's not Santa, it's not Frosty, it's not Rudolph. What makes Christmas special, what makes Christmas Christmas is Jesus. And until you experience Christmas, there's no need to even try to expect Christmas or even express Christmas. Maybe some of you have seen those car dealership commercials and uh, that says anybody can buy a car here. You know, you've probably seen those. I mean, anybody, I don't care who you are, don't care what you credit, anybody can buy a car here. I saw one of those uh, commercials not too long ago, several months ago, got my attention. So they were advertising, I don't know what the car dealership was now, but it says anybody can buy a car here, right? But then if you look closely, and I went back and played, if you look closely, there's an asterisk next to that statement on the bottom of the screen. And, and that asterisk has three letters beside it. And here are the three letters. W-A-C. Anybody knows what those letters mean? With approved credit. They don't show you that. Oh, anybody can buy a car. Oh, man, but I, man, I only make $7 an hour. You come on in, man. Come on down. You can buy a car. I don't even have a job. No worries. You can buy a car. I owe $27,000 on my credit card. You don't worry. You can buy a car. Except W-A-C. So really, what they're saying is this. Everybody can buy a car. If you make it through the approval process, and if you have the money and the credit to cover the bill, then you can buy a car. What those angels sang and said that first Christmas morning was anybody can come to God. 
no asterisks, no fine print at the bottom of the contract, don't need approved credit, don't need money in the bank, don't even have to be able to sign your name. All you got to do is just do what those shepherds did. All you got to do is just do what those wise men did. You know what it is? Accept the peace of God and accept the grace of God and the God of grace whose name is Jesus. Listen, if you believe what I have just preached to you this morning, and I don't know whether you do or not, I mean really believe it, how can we keep that to ourselves? How, how can we keep our mouth closed? How can we not take seriously what we asked you to do last week? How can, not, how can you not take as many of these as you can and give them out to as many people as you know? How can you not invite people to our Christmas Eve services next Saturday? How can you not give people a gospel witness or a testimony as God opens the opportunity? How can you not week after week after week after week just invite people to come and hear what's being preached from this place week after week and at our other campuses? How can you not do that? If indeed, if indeed, because of Christmas, everybody can have the peace of God. Everybody can have the grace of God. Everybody can know the Son of God. Everybody can experience life with God. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what this entourage have taught, has taught us. That's what the shepherds have told us. That's what the wise men have told us. That's what the angels have told us. It is the greatest news of all, which is good news for everybody. Because Jesus Christ, the Lord, has been born. He's alive. He's coming back. But until he does, Christmas says he can live in your heart today. Let's pray together. With heads bowed and with eyes closed.